Hi all, I welcome you to the Building Culture podcast where I invite incredibly smart people who build things whether they be engineers, entrepreneurs, programmers, hobbyists or researchers it does not matter as long as you're someone who's passionate about building things I'll find you and podcast you. Hi all I want to take a brief moment to thank you all personally for supporting this podcast on YouTube and on all major podcast platforms including Google Podcasts and Spotify the podcast mainly features interesting people in robotics artificial intelligence and entrepreneurship if you believe that the information that I'm providing might be of benefit to you or to someone you know it would be really great if you could hit the subscribe button and press the notification icon so that you can get notified on time whenever the next part is out it would literally take you a second or two to subscribe to the podcast but it would really mean a lot to me because i can grow the podcast to a level that where i can reach more people invite ever more interesting guests and have a more meaningful impact so let's begin now So in today's episode we have with us Dr David Fishinger from the Austrian Institute of Technology where he works on object detection geolocation estimation fake news detection and uh, damage detection using unmanned aerial vehicles just to name a few projects he has been uh, the manager of uh, research and development at Aeolus Robotics for 2 years previously and he has more than 12 years experience in robotics in both research uh both as a researcher and as a, a lecturer in industry and in academia he he specializes in object manipulation and grasping for service and elderly care robots and has uh, a lot of other experience in robotics i'll add a link to his linkedin account in the description you can have a look at uh, the variety of different research papers that he has published and about his research in general So let's welcome Dr. David Fishinger. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So uh, let's begin by uh, talking about your overall professional experience. So can you just give us short summary of uh, your starting uh, your beginning in robotics and and to your current role just as short summary. Mm-hmm. So after I studied mathematics and computational science and um informatics management I worked for three years at Accenture Technology Technology Solutions so by currently they have more than 600,000 people worldwide and I was in the area of of mainframe actually hired as a java developer but due to available projects I wanted to start soon and then come into me in the mainframe direction and yeah so this is not exactly what i call um cutting edge technology and yeah so i then read about a robotics project at my alma mater the university technical university of vienna mm-hmm. and thought robotics that's something that is very interesting and has impact because um yeah for my last project at accenture um 
euphemistically speaking, I created um, jobs in a developing country. Not so euphemistically speaking, yeah, the jobs were shifted. And this is one of, of a reason why I wanted to change to robotics to have a real impact on the future and how society looks like. Um, but on the other side, there are many positive reasons why it work for, for Accenture. And, but yeah, so this cutting edge technology having an impact and working for robotics, robots was something new to me, but something very interesting. And therefore I contacted Michael Sillig, who was in lead of this project. And yeah, so there was, they didn't research for someone, but I contacted the project lead and also Professor Winzer who is responsible and who's leader of the vision for robotics group in Vienna. And yeah, after a few months, I started my, started my career in robotics. This was in 2010. Okay. Yeah. And at this time, it was completely new to me. I was used, for example, um, to I was used to Windows. <laughs> and um, my background is in mathematics and computer science. So also the hardware stuff is not what I was used to. So there were a lot of changes in my yeah, career plan. So that but, was yeah. a uh, that was a sudden transition in, in your career as well when you shifted to robotics. So after Absolutely. you, you, uh, you shifted to robotics because you uh, realized that this is more impactful and you were also very interested in that. So what was the next step that you, you took after that in, in your journey? So it started with my first project was um, called Grasp. So as the name says, <laughs> it's about grasping. Yeah. And yeah, here I developed uh, a method how to grasp um, so, so the focus was on grasping unknown object in clutter mm -hmm. and this method i developed here and implemented on different um, robot robots and yeah this was for the first two years and then the hobbit project started this was a project for about the service robot and who was supposed to help elderly people stay longer um, at home alone so that they can live independently, but with some support of a robot. And this was an extremely interesting project because, yeah, it has the whole complexity. The robot had an arm, could interact with, with his environment. The robot could pick up things, could bring things, could learn new objects um, supported by the user. Um, and of course, um, there were also features like um, playing games, um, calling the ambulance and checking um, if a user is lying on the floor, for example. So this was one of the main features, hmm. um, but also doing just um, fitness program with the user where the robot um, was looking at the user, was tracking his body. And hmm. then the robot checked how the arms were moved and so the robot could even um, correct the user if the arm was not lifted high enough and things like that. So he was really like a trainer supportive in doing the, the workout. And yeah, but the main point where um, it should give the user a 
feeling of safety and should make working safety that it cannot happen that a user, uh, elderly person, um, falls down and, and for two days nobody um, is aware of that. So the robot should um, check if everything is okay on a regular basis and call for help if needed. But also, as I said, should interact with the environment and bring stuff. Hmm. And yeah, so here we had also user trials. And in the second round of the user trials, we had um, 18 people in three countries in Sweden, Austria, and um, Greece, where we put, so we had five different robots, and we put for three weeks at each user the robot, um, set it up, and then let it there, there and let the user work with the robot. Hmm. So the robot worked um, very independently. And yeah, so this was. Very challenging in the time before, but also quite um, satisfying hmm. um, seeing the robots doing quite well and yeah. in this very uh, open setting. Yeah. So so basically the, the Hobbit robot is a, is a mobile platform with a manipulator on it as well, right? So this is how it is arranged. And uh, the focus was uh, uh, on both of these things. So navigation of the robot... Uh, of, of the mobile platform, but also using the manipulator arm to do the assistance work. So exactly. So, so, so from the design, it looked more like a fridge, but <laughs> the functionality for the time for 2013, 14, it was yeah, quite good, I think. Yeah. yeah. So also like, uh, this is a very, uh, 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 recent uh, this is a very recent recent research topic also right this uh, manipulation grasping uh, and uh, a, a very challenging task especially in unstructured environments so mm. how has this this field evolved in in robotics and li like for example when you worked in on it in 2000 uh, in 2013 you say to currently how is this uh, field progressing right now um yeah of course there are big advancements um there are big advancements in vision yeah. currently there are many people for doing for example um object pose estimation just from yeah, the 2d data and and also at the time we started yolo was not really thing and, and now it's so great because the better you know what is in the environment the better you can man manipulate it yeah um, so if you know what object you want to grasp and have even an object model that makes things easier and makes it easier to to manipulate um, and to to use the object in the way it is um, supposed to be used mm. and yeah but what what also changed is that since there were so huge were such a huge progress in vision yeah that i um see now that that many things in many publications um use vision mm -hmm. and use benchmarks based on vision and 
sometimes I have the feeling it's a bit forget forgotten that that grasping and then manipulation is not the 2D problem that we can use in the with the normal um, input for neural networks. Yeah, um, it's a bit more complex, and and yeah, so it is also changed. But yeah. on the other on the other hand, there needs in scientific community there needs to be benchmarking mm. and grasping due to the hardware, due to the embodiment of the, the robot and, and the yeah. environments, and and it's very hard to replicate exactly the same um, trials. So, yeah, it's hard. Do I use a, a vision? benchmark or do I use um, metrics based on simulation hmm. where I'm also to be honest not very fond of because even these metrics are not so um, yeah I don't always believe them and if the mesh is not even if the mesh is kind of good then yeah the results are yeah not mediocre yeah <laughs> okay. and and also at that time, probably deep learning was also not there. So, right? Or uh, was it, it was, uh, I think, just starting to, uh, we were starting to have these models, but deep learning is now developing at a uh, faster pace. Probably that is also uh, mm. helping in progressing robot manipulation and grasping. Yeah. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. Now I thought about that in the past and when I started 2010, yeah. and there, there were three three main points that really changed extremely So in robotics. So one was um, when I started in 2010, a few months after a colleague came, hey, he has heard there is something called ROS. It doesn't sound <laughs> so bad. Maybe we should try it out. Oh, really? And okay. Yeah. Four or five years later, ROS was de facto standard and was used more or less everywhere. Hmm. And, and yeah, so and, and this was one point. Then when I started, um, stereo cameras were widely used. And also then the Kinect came. Hmm. I think this was at least in, in my um, people I, I knew. So started using the Kinect and... 2010, end of 2010, and this was a, after a while, it seemed everybody is using it, <laughs> and nobody's using stereo cameras anymore. And yeah, the third main thing is neural networks. So when I started, of course, there was a lot of machine learning, but support vector machines, for example, were mm. kind of thing what used beside many other things. Mm. But four, four or five years later, everything was um, deep learning and and yeah so it was and then it here can yeah can you come back to what i said before i, I it's great and and you can't deny the the big achievements and and uh, what comes with uh, deep learning especially in, in vision and also can um, transform it to other areas um, but sometimes with the feeling it's just everybody is using it, turning some parameters, using <laughs> the, the in input data the others used already. Yeah, as I said, turning parameters and then has 0.2% yeah. um, better results than this is then, then published. And I think it's it's maybe better now, but there was a phase where I really had the feeling, yeah, playing around with, with the new stuff that is around and doesn't matter how good it works in practice. Uh, um, yeah. So it, yeah. it, it's it's more experimentation is what what you're trying to say. 
just playing with the parameters and and uh, tuning the parameters and trying to improve the results so so sometimes at some i had the feeling it is in some cases this way but in yeah. general of course yeah deep learning is great and it's yeah the future more or less yeah if not not other things come like um transformers and so okay 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 so at what point did you uh, were you starting to get involved in aeolus robotics can you also talk about that mm -hmm. So after I finished PhD and worked for one year as a postdoc at the university, um, I started in a company, MatTech, um, who do um, mathematical optimization in logistics, but also in robotics. Mm -hmm. And um, after two years, I was contacted by a professor from I think, Santa Cruz University. Mm. And yeah, he has read actually my my first publication about grasping yeah. and yeah, told me that there is a company, they want to build a robot that Sorry. is also a service, um, service robot for, for daily use with a general, pur so general purpose robot. And they would need someone who, who does grasping or a team. And yeah, okay. I was not so it was um, Silicon Valley based and I was not eager to 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 move and mm. but it was also on the table to just become a consultant and so we started a bit to talk with each other mm -hmm. and during the talks it came out um, I told him about um, Hobbit so this was more or less quite similar to what they had in mind to mm. to produce and I also told him that I at Hobbit was already in a kind of leading position, integration lead. Um, and so at the end, the idea was born that I built up a grasping team in Vienna. Oh. And since there was a lot of knowledge from Robbie, Hobbit, um, it was also decided that we will start a cooperation with the TU Vienna. Mm -hmm. And yeah, which I would also lead then. And yeah. After a few months more, um, I was starting a robotics branch in Vienna from an international startup and soon scale up. So okay. the development was really impressive. Yeah. So that happened very suddenly and you were given a lot of responsibilities after uh, for the AOLS robotics uh, project. So uh, and then after after uh, AOLS uh, robotics so you are currently at austrian institute of technology right can you also mm -hmm. talk about what your current role is about um yeah as you said in the introduction i focus on ai so one of the the main projects i'm involved is um deep fake detection here i'm focused currently on um an image forgery analysis so if images are manipulated if pieces are cut out and placed or yeah hmm. um, then um, again deep learning most of the times um, should develop should analyze which part of the image or the video is forged is manipulated and of course this is 
one one uh, approach. Um, a simpler one is also we also use uh, use the metadata and check can this be true? Can this video from the current um, explosion in Afghanistan um, be real from this event? If you find it in the metadata that it's already two years old, then it's probably um, yeah not from the, the current event. And yeah, so here I'm uh, focusing on computer vision part of the project. In the project, we also handle um, audio and text, so NLP and other kinds of uh, data. Um, another project I'm currently working on is um, disaster bill, so disaster damage detection after disasters so or after explosion or uh, earthquake um, parts of buildings maybe are destroyed mm. and to help the, the people to help um, on site to see fast where is danger where is most need to help um, i'm developing and using algorithms to detect um, yeah okay. where parts of the building are destroyed so your current position is focused is it focused uh, fully on research or are you also in uh, lecturing and teaching are you also involved in that hmm? stuff so currently i'm only so i'm solemnly um working in research okay and yeah do not lecture anything okay 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 uh, and so you have uh, uh, do you have uh, several years of experience in in the same uh, in similar areas and also uh, at computer vision and uh, for robots service robots and all these applications so how have you personally evolved over the past let's say 10 years Hmm. Well, one thing is that still, um, as I said, at university, I didn't started so much with deep learning. Yeah. Um, currently, more or less everything I do is, is deep learning based. Okay. Okay. Um, so this is one example of things that, that changed. Yeah. So basically, the the primary technology that you were working on before is is now different as as the as as it advanced now from let's say using support vector machines before to deep learning now. It's definitely one of the, the things that yeah. changed. Yes. And you also mentioned about uh, leadership roles that you had uh, uh, while running, let's say, Aeolus Robotics and and other positions that you had there. Can you also talk about uh, how you evolved in terms of uh, leadership, uh, uh, leading a technical team and uh, what challenges you had? Sometimes you say you learn most when you have um, big challenges. So one big challenge was before the um, Hobbit user trials. Yeah. So this was definitely a, a hard time where I worked very much and I, it was close to, to a border um, where actually, I, yeah, this you can say is, is something where I would say I even evolved because it was, yeah, it, it started to become physical. So at one time when I saw 
saw signs which were not so okay anymore. I said, okay, um, this is enough. <laughs> Work is, is not everything. And from there, it was so much easier because the, the pressure I put on myself um, disappeared. And okay. what, what I learned is it at this time, it didn't change actually so much. I just hmm. feel relaxed and said, okay, it can't go on this way. And then I said, okay, I will work more, more normal times. And yeah, it also turned out, out well. And as I said, I think the user trials were um, quite good. Can you also talk about uh, Aeolus Robotics in general? What are the products it was involved in? And uh, uh, what were the products that uh, you had there and, and other services, basically? Mm -hmm. um, so Aeolus Robotics was started in December 2016. Mm -hmm. I joined in July 2017. Mm -hmm. And so it was more or less from zero in, end of 2016. And beginning of 2028, there was the CES. So okay. more or less, it was one year after um, Aeolus Robotics were, was um, founded. Hmm. And at the CES, there are a lot of videos um, at YouTube. Um, Aeolus Robotics showed already a robot that could vacuum in a, a room, that could go to a chair um, fold out its tray, fold out its tray, grab, uh, go under the chair with the tray, grab the chair, lift the chair, move the chair somewhere else, vacuum under a table, um, go around um, places and pick up objects from the ground. Um, you take these um, objects and place them in bins that were standing around or just bringing a um, a bottle, a can of yeah. Coke to, to uh, a user on a couch. And yeah, so this was done in one year. What mm. Alice is now facing, as I said, on LLCare Robotics. And they have um, a contract with two uh, main LLCare facilities in Japan, okay. where um, they provide um, the robots, um, based robots as a service, so based on a renting model, um, where robots can be placed in the elderly care facilities. And currently there are ma two main use cases. Um, the one is that the robots with ultralight um, go around and disinfect uh, hand railings and things that are touched a lot. Mm -hmm. So in times of COVID, this is yeah, a very important task to limit um, the, uh, yeah, uh, the infection or the, the infection rate. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was searching for. Thank you. Yeah. And the second use case is um, to check if everything is okay. So if no user, um, so to patrol, it's patrolling to go around and check if no user at night um, has lost himself, herself, uh, or has maybe fallen out of the bed. And mm. for this task, the robot can also navigate um, very freely in mm. the building and is even able to drive himself with an um, elevator 
or to open doors himself and yeah okay so yeah so mostly the the, the for elderly care uh, situations so uh, was it then also implemented so uh, was it available for homes to buy or for healthcare facilities or who were the customers actually but okay. at cs 2018 um the goal was that it's a home robot um that everyone can buy and it shifted now a bit towards um, elderly care facilities okay um because then the robot um, can work in a an environment that is more controlled hmm. and also in elderly care facilities um yeah there is currently more need and uh, hmm. more direct benefit um for what these robots can do nowadays and yeah okay perfect and uh, so what were the uh, technical challenges that you encountered uh, while building the aeolus robot i think the robot is also called aeolus robot right yes that's yeah. the very original name yeah yeah so uh, what were the technical challenges that you encountered so uh, with elderly with homes i think it's more unstructured uh, but you were uh, mm -hmm. focusing on elderly care i think th those are still very unstructured so uh, would you call it semi structured environments or or still unstructured uh, yeah i think it's possible to make kind of of setup so and yeah, in, in care facilities, um, it's you can clean up, can define areas where robot is going and clean up. Okay. Up, so you can can call it semi structure okay, okay. if you want. Um, so technical issues. So the the Alus robot is quite similar to the Hobbit robot, and mm. issues since the, the robots are similar, are not that are different. So. Mm um so so my main part was was always um grasping and picking up objects and i would like to to focus on that so some key is key issues here are the perception for example yeah. so that you get um a good and accurate um point cloud for example yeah. and so there are issues like um, in 2D, it looks good. And if you have a marker and you want to detect the marker and do the mathematical optimization, you get a good result. But if the robot arm should, really, should go exactly where you want the arm to be to grasp something, it sometimes cannot reach the exact um, position. So this is a problem. And okay. this has, has a number of reasons. So for example, um, the cameras can have, without even recognizing it that e easy, um, or being aware of that, the cameras can measure the distance wrong. Hmm. So this can be very tricky. And there is even a publication that is not so well known that I think it was for the Kinect sensor, but I think it's probably similar to other sensors, that depending on the height of the camera at the distance of 80, 90 centimeters, 
the distance measurement changes by two centimeters. Oh. So because I, I recognize this already at, at university, that you have very accurate grasps and very accurate um, robotic arm movements. And after one, two hours, it gets inaccurate and misses by two centimeters. And normally, if, if you grasp something, often two centimeters you don't really be, become aware of. But yeah. if you really check and, and, and make calibration, then, yeah, this is strange. And, and yeah, so this kind of um, problem that the camera even does, not that it is not just inaccurate, but that it changes the inaccuracy over time yeah. is, for example, one of the, the challenges. Another challenge is um, what you can perceive overall and to know in advance what you can uh, perceive. Um, for example, um, you can't have, if you use sensors with laser-based sensors like uh, Kinect or similar ones, um, transparent um, objects or objects, uh, shiny objects, uh, mirrors um, are, of course, a big issue. But not even that, there are sometimes it's really hard to, to say in advance what's the problem. In my dissertation, I had the example where I had a yellow toy clay and a green toy clay. And the green one was perceived by the sensor very well. The yellow okay. one, almost not at all. Same material, just the color was different. Okay. Because of the lighting issue or what? No, I put them next to each other and it, it was also dependent on the um, time. So sometimes the, so the, the perception was not stable. Sometimes the, yeah, even the yellow toy clay could be perceived um, very good. But a second later, you had hardly any points. Okay. And but it was not only the color. If I put, uh, I had a yellow toy um, duck, which had more or less same color for human at least. Mm -hmm. um, put it on the yellow clay, you could this duck. You it could perceive it again. And so yeah, it's sometimes even hard for for roboticists or vision people to know what's the reason why this yeah. is. Uh, it's not possible to perceive or say it at once. Um, a main issue in robotic grasping is always um, the accuracy um, that comes from the arm or from the manipulator. Um, and this is you have to balance on the one side um, the price of the arm and the capability and the weight. On the other side, um, yeah, so, so if it's very precise and then it's often heavy and expensive, but that's also nothing where you can go into mass production. Hmm. And finding here a balance is, for example, also something that is um, extremely hard. Hey guys, I really hope that you enjoyed this particular conversation and it helped you in some way, shape or form. If it did, make sure to hit the subscribe button and the notification icon 
or the bell icon so that you can get notified on time whenever the next part is out. Also it would be really great if you could give me your feedback in the comments below. That would really help me improve. I'm uploading small clips of the long podcasts on a regular basis on platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. So make sure to follow me on these platforms if you're someone who cannot take out time for the long episodes. The podcasts are also available on all major podcast platforms including Spotify and Google Podcasts.